Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, and often in between, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to academic.oup.com forward slash bioscience. For today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Joy Winborn, who's a postdoc fellow in Lucy Hutera's research group at Boston University. She was here to talk about tree transpiration and its relationship with urban temperatures, which is something that's probably on a lot of our minds right now because of the current weather, at least in the US. Let's go straight to the interview. Dr. Winborn, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here today. Okay, so I think a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with the urban heat island effect, at least in some sense, um, and probably in the sense that it's often a lot hotter in urban city centers than it is out in the suburbs or rural surrounds. Uh, what causes that effect? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the urban heat island effect, just as you mentioned, is you know hotter hotter temperatures in the urban core relative to rural areas outside. And there's a number of factors that feed into that uh, phenomena. And one of them is that in cities, you have a lot more pavement than green space. Um, and that pavement holds on to heat and re-radiates it, especially at night. Um, so you tend to have warmer temperatures at night, especially due to the urban heat island effect. But also there's a number of waste energy, uh, heat energy from buildings and things like running our ACs this time of the year in the summer um, that contribute to that hotter urban core. And from the ACs, it's essentially the effect of the air conditioning is blowing hot air out and um, to create cooler air inside. Exactly. Yeah. And that's especially happening as, you know, you have these feedbacks that happen when hot temperatures, you get increasingly hot temperatures because we become more dependent on our ACs as extreme heat events happen. Yeah. And that seems like the kind of thing that might be expected to worsen as it gets warmer in general. Exactly. And so the urban heat island effect is happening in addition and synergy with climate change that's warming temperatures around the globe um, in different areas. And so we're expecting with climate change that um, there's going to be more magnitude and frequency of extreme heat events in cities. Okay, so let's talk about trees a little bit and urban trees in particular. Uh, what kind of effects do they have on you know the urban heat island effect and city temperatures in general? Yeah, so trees are a great way to help cool the environment, especially in cities. And, and they're being proposed often in climate action plans that are happening throughout the globe um, to help mitigate and adapt to climate change and extreme temperatures because they can help cool the environment in a number of ways. And they can cool the environment through shade, which anybody walking down a nice canopy lined street in the city on a hot day knows that it's much cooler because they, inter they absorb and um, prevent the radiation from reaching the pavement below often. Um, but another way, one that we really focused on and dug into in this manuscript, is that they can cool the environment through transpiration. Um, and so you can kind of think of that as when you, if you've been at a restaurant when they, where they have like misters out on really hot days, they're misting you with water, that water's evaporating and it's going from us. Um, and the transition from a liquid to gas phase helps to cool the local air temperatures around you. And so trees do that through transpiration. Okay, would it be fair to call, to think of that in terms of, you know, like the, as if the trees were sweating, say? 
Exactly. Yeah. So that's actually one of my favorite ways to kind of explain it is the trees sweating. And in some cases, they really are sweating. So the reason it's happening, transpiration, is because trees are able to pull water up through their roots, through their stems to their leaves. And it's happening because they're doing photosynthesis. They're fixing carbon, opening their stomates, which I like to think of as their little mouths. Um, they open their stomates to, to bring CO2 in. And as a consequence, they lose water and it evaporates. Does that serve the purpose for the tree of cooling it? Um, or is this mainly just an effect that we benefit from as city dwellers when we're surrounded by trees? A little bit of both. So it is definitely an effect of them photosynthesizing um, and them losing water because they want to keep their um, stems from cavitating and dying. Um, but it also, there is evidence showing in really extreme uh, heat events that trees will stop photosynthesizing but still transpire water. And we think that's because they're trying to cool down their leaf temperatures. Okay. And so, you know, how has this information been applied thus far in terms of city planning? You know, obviously there are trees in cities, uh, but what have been the main focuses and aims and has it been effective? Yeah, trees are, as I mentioned, being proposed as a solution to help mitigate and adapt to climate change. And they they serve a number of other co-benefits and to services too. There's some aspects of trees that people don't love about <laughs> um, in cities when they like dig into your pipes, um, your sewer pipes looking for water, for example, or fall, fall, branches fall on your car. But also they can produce um, VOCs, volatile organic compounds, which can have effects on air pollution. So trees can cause a, they have a number of services and disservices to consider with urban planning. Um, but from the perspective of how they influence urban temperatures, um, most of the work has been focused on kind of how they affect shading. Um, so thinking about what trees to plant, where, um, and what sort of characteristics, morphology of the trees that will influence their cooling effects. And we d really dug in in this manuscript trying to better understand the other aspect of how they cool the environment, transpiration, what things we need to better understand, what we do understand and how that could influence um, tree selection and planning of where to plant trees. Okay, discussing transpiration specifically, um, you know, how is that measured in this kind of environment? You know, what does the experimentation look like? Um, and, you know, how do you extrapolate those results to, you know, citywide scales and those sorts of things? Yeah, great question. So outside of cities, you can use tower-based approaches, which allow you to put in sprintation on top of a tower and for a large area, understand what the rates of transpiration um, are. But in cities, we can't really get away with doing that because the landscape is so um, heterogeneous. There's, you know, patches of green space or street trees and buildings of different sorts. Um, and so the, you need to use ground-based approaches. Um, and so the way to do that is use these sensors called sat flow sensors, which are really cool. You put um, inside the trunk of a tree and they use heat typically as a tracer to measure how fast water is moving in the stem of a tree. And because transpiration and photosynthesis are so tightly coupled, we can then understand how much water is coming out through their leaves and measure like total water usage. 
So we use Satflow sensors, these ground-based approaches to, to quantify transpiration at the tree level. It integrates across the entire tree's activity. And we can extrapolate that to urban areas using um, models, so urban climate models, which allows, allows us to translate the cooling effect that transpiration can have um, to urban temperatures what, by incorporating many of the other features going on in the urban landscape. So I'm curious now, what is the effect actually, you know, like in terms of having trees? You know, what what sort of temperature benefits um, are are you receiving as a service? Uh, you know, when you have a, a tree laden area in an urban setting. Yeah. So studies have found that trees can have pretty significant effect on the temperature. So it can range from uh, cooling the local environment around the tree from like one to eight degrees uh, Celsius, but also upwards of 20 degrees Celsius for the surface temperatures. Um, so they can pretty significant effects. And that effect is not is intertwining both their effective shading and transpiration. Um, and without these sort of flow sensors that I mentioned, these sort of ground-based methods, we can't really disentangle the effective shading from transpiration. Okay. And um, so I'm, I'm wondering also, you know, um, are there trade-offs in this? Because obviously, if the trees are taking up water and it's and transpiring, uh, that water has to be coming from somewhere. Is it is it typically found, you know, just uh, from rainfall in the cities, or are, do there do you require sort of irrigation efforts and that kind of thing? Yeah, so there's big time trade-offs, especially depending on where you are, like what city you're in. So a lot of work has been done in kind of the LA area, looking at water use by trees and finding that it's a big time trade-off. It's up to fifty percent of the residential water supply that's going towards irrigating trees because in arid cities trees don't grow there naturally we have to irrigate them and even in mesic cities so cities like boston where we were doing a lot of our research we have a more rainfall but we still during dry periods we don't want our trees to die so we irrigate them quite a bit um, but for trees that aren't irrigated, and even for trees that are irrigated, we find that you they access other water resources, groundwater, they are known to dig their roots into sewer pipes. Um, so there's a number of water resources throughout the city, and that really affects the rates of transpiration that we're going to observe. And it's a bit of an unknown, too. We don't entirely understand where trees in the city get their water from. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a you know a combination of factors, and it's a little bit uncertain, but obviously in some areas you have a need to irrigate, and in others at other times um, they can be left to more or less fend for themselves. Yeah, and that has a big impact on how much transpiration. That's one of the driving factors of kind of the cooling effect that trees can have from transpiration is where they access water. So, for example, we installed these sap flow sensors and trees growing inside cities and outside of cities in the Boston area to kind of understand the influence of urban environment on tree transpiration because it's both water access. So we looked at a tree that was being well um, irrigated, but in cities, you also have warmer temperatures. We might have more nutrient availability from fertilization. Um, and also less competition. So there's a number of factors in cities that promote um, growth, more growth and transpiration of trees. But there's also a number of factors that can negatively affect tree growth. Um, so trees can be, they're warmer as we mentioned, which can create heat stress if it's too hot. Um, and if trees can't access water, especially young trees have difficulty because they don't have a well-established root system. Um, those can have negative effects. And, and the addition in 
cities like Boston, we put a lot of salt on the ground. Um, so different contaminants can really affect tree growth and how they can, and therefore how they can influence the environment around them. And, and the salt being there because you have uh, rather cold winters in contrast to the warm summers and uh, why, and, and <laughs> yeah. you need to melt snow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you know, what kinds of fi- things do you find, um, lo- you know, looking at trees in the, in the urban environment, uh, you know, versus other settings are, are, were there any major surprises? Yeah, one of the major surprises, um, mentioning our study looking at transpiration rates in urban trees, is we looked at its effect, its relationship of how much it was transpiring um, with temperature. And our models predict that there's kind of an optimal temperature that plants photosynthesize at. And we would expect that to be a little bit higher in urban areas. But after you reach a certain threshold where it's too hot for the trees. They're gonna lose a lot of water and potentially injure themselves so they close their stomates um, and stop photosynthesizing, stop transpiring water. But what we found um, looking at our sugar maple in Boston compared to rural sugar maples growing outside of Boston is that they keep the urban ones keep transpiring water at very hot temperatures. And we think that's because they are being irrigated. And so kind of our theory is that was that was very surprising because it was counter to how we um how we our theory and how we incorporate them into models and and is that as a result of they have greater water availability so they're not being stressed in that particular way so they're more likely to continue transpiring exactly that's what we think is going on and what would be really interesting to see is how this extends with really hot temperatures And so digging into the literature, we found that there's only really one study that's been able to manipulate extremely hot temperatures. They did this in Australia. um, And so they had temperatures of 43 degrees Celsius. And they did this in a heat wave kind of um, simulation because plants we know are adapting to hotter temperatures over time. But how do these sort of pulses of extreme heat affect their behavior? Um, And they found that they, they sweat, they stopped photosynthesizing because the machinery of photosynthesis um, doesn't do so well at 43 degrees Celsius, but they continue to transpire and do so by tapping water resources deep in the ground. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I'm also wondering about, you know, the potential variation with tree species. Are, are these results generalizable across a number of species, or is this something that you only would expect in, you know, with certain types of trees? Yeah, that's a good question and one of a bit of an unknown. So we know that trees vary quite a bit in their hydraulic strategies, so their strategies in regards to water use. So there's variation in how efficient trees, different tree species are in their use of water. Um, and they also vary in their wood anatomy. So how they kind of move water through their stem can really affect uh, their water movement and then transpiration rates. So it's still a, a big area of research that we kind of highlighted as kind of future research directions that need to be taken is to kind of understand uh, kind of functional groups of trees that behave differently. And obviously that, you know, that would have, I would imagine at least a larger effect than you might, you know, have in other, you know, types of considerations, uh, because you actually get to pick the trees that you're going to plant in an urban environment to some extent, which you wouldn't necessarily have uh, to the same extent in a, you know, say a national forest or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you can really, and that's part of better understanding how these different tree species vary in their response to urban environment can help us better select trees. Um, 
And and that's an interesting point too, is tre- urban areas are really unique in that we plant trees. And so we have tree species that don't have any non-urban counterpart, especially in cities like LA or um, very arid areas. A lot of uh, tropical species are brought in to live there. And so we don't know how they're gonna behave. Is it gonna be the same as kind of their native habitat or non-urban areas? And, and that's the thing in broadly we've a lot of the research has kind of assumed that urban trees will behave like rural trees. It's just the environment is different. But the comparison of um, kind of urban trees to rural trees, I think is a really interesting one and one that the group research group I'm in has done quite a bit of work on. And we found, for example, in the Boston area that street trees in Boston grow four times faster than their urban counterparts outside of the city. That's incredible. Uh, what accounts for that change? Is it just the greater water availability, lack of competition? What you know, That seems pretty dramatic. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great question. The mechanisms behind that are still a little bit unknown. We have a lot of hypotheses because of these sort of beneficial um, conditions that urban areas can have. But we think the reason is they don't have competition. They have typically urban trees are open light conditions. So they have more light, potentially more nutrients, not just from fertilization, but cars um, produce a lot of nitrogen deposition and other um, sources of nitrogen deposition in the city can have beneficial effects on tree growth and access to water that we either irrigate them or in kind of more mesic cities like Boston, they can access uh, groundwater. Okay, and it may be too early to answer this question, Uh, But I'm wondering if there are any takeaways uh, from your work thus far, either in the article or not yet, um, about what city managers should be thinking about doing in terms of planting trees. Of course, you mentioned the adage that it's always best to the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Um, But is there any is there any specific guidance that's coming out of the work on transpiration that might, you know, guide some decision making? Obviously, we're not making policy recommendations right here. uh, But what sorts of things should they be thinking about those who manage cities? Yeah, I think the body of literature really on this um, studying trees and the benefits they can have has shown that protecting your old trees is really important. Kind of like that proverb says, like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Our big trees are the ones that transpire a lot more. They fix a lot more carbon. They um, they can they're bigger and therefore have bigger benefits on the urban environment. And they're able to withstand the stresses we've, we find um, versus small trees. So small trees are more likely to die, have high mortality early in the first couple of years after they're planted. Um, and so to answer your question, I think what's coming out of a lot of work is showing that we need to protect our big trees. They often get cut down during different developments and replaced with lots of little kind of twigs in the ground. Um, so I think that's one thing that's coming out of this. And second, if we can't, um, you know, we, we, we're trying to plant more small trees to really protect them in the early stages of growth is, is being found to be very important. Is that because they're vulnerable in those early stages? Yeah, they're vulnerable because they, they don't have the same sort of root system. They're smaller. They, they're more susceptible to a lot of the stresses uh, that their environment has that larger trees can withstand. 
Okay, and you know what's uh, what's coming next for your work? You know, what what sorts of things are you looking at in the future? Yeah, so I've been really interested in this question of how trees and urban environments respond to extreme heat events. And so, some of the work we're doing right now is in Boston. We're instrumenting a number of different trees that grow in different urban environments. So we kind of mention um, in the manuscript quite a bit that you know understanding urban transpiration means understanding different places where trees are growing how does like a forest patch versus a street tree a street tree that's irrigated versus not um how do they how they respond to the the, the unique conditions that they're in and so we've been working in boston um, putting out sat flow sensors on different tree species um, that are growing in different areas to get a better understanding. And are there any early hypotheses on, you know, kind of how those things will work? Are there big differences between a stand of trees that are, you know, in a place like, for instance, Central Park or, you know, versus lining um, a street that's otherwise, you know, populated by tall buildings? Yeah, so the research is still new. Um, COVID kind of prevented us from doing some (laughs) early season deployments. But um, yeah, our hypothesis is that, a, a large forest stand obviously is going to, when you scale it up, it's going to have higher transpiration, but also trees that are found in well irrigated air- landscapes are going to continue to transpire, especially during heat waves, um, while non irrigated trees will not transpire as much, especially at those hot temperatures. And understanding those hot temperature responses has really important implications because you can have these sort of negative or positive feedbacks that happen. So if a tree continues to transpire during a really hot event, then it's cooling the environment and that could reduce our need for use of ACs, which have that sort of excess heat that they produce when they're being used. And so, and if they, if trees don't continue to transpire during heat events, it can kind of create a positive feedback loop of hotter temperatures, more dependence on um, air conditioning units, more excess heat being pumped into the, to the area. So that could help guide you know, policies and, and practices that, you know, avoid that attempted at least to avoid that kind of scenario in which, you know, you're doing everything you can to make it warm or cooler inside. And as a result, you're making it even hotter outside. Yeah. And I think to answer, to answer your question on future research directions, another one is to better understand these sort of overlaps between canopy and the built environment, um, that interaction that's happening between the trees that are there and the energy use that we have. Um, and some of that work is being done by my colleagues, um, Dan Lee, who's on a co-author on this paper is an urban climate modeler. And so that's really how we can translate these sort of ground-based observations to how it's affecting the kind of larger scale. Okay. And I guess, you know, to close out one thing I was uh, curious about, and I've been asking everybody, and you've mentioned already, in fact, is, you know, what what sort of effect has the uh, COVID pandemic had on your work? Uh, Has any of it been able to be carried on Um, you know, during the spring, or have you had to put everything on hold and are, you know, kind of awaiting opening up of things again? Um, A little bit of both. We, it's definitely affected kind of, especially because of the timing. It was March, you know, the start of the growing season (laughs) here in Massachusetts. It definitely put a little bit of a a halt on things, a little delay, but we, you know, you got to get creative. So one of our colleagues, um, kind of turned his backyard into a field site <laughs> so that we could continue to um, work on the sat flow sensor, which is um, a newly invented sat flow sensor. So we've been like making lots of um, very innovative um, changes to kind of how sat flow is measured um, 
to to create these sort of sensors that you can deploy large networks of and in cities uh, where they can get easily vandalized. So it's like powered off of, you know, a battery, USB battery. Um, so you can kind of tuck it up on the trunk and it is much more compact and than other ways, which is part of why we, you know, in our synthesis, what kind of led to this is in 2010, there was like five studies done in cities looking at sat flow. And now there's, we found 40, which is a lot more, but still very little um, research done in cities kind of understanding uh, transpiration at the ground level, at the tree level. And part of this is methodology. It's um, a lot of sat flow sensors use, um, they need power, line power. Um, so it makes it difficult to, to deploy them. Yeah, and I guess that's an, an, you know, another question I should have asked earlier about the sap flow sensors. So you're able to run these off of, of USB-powered battery packs? Yeah, our latest version um, is off of that versus kind of heavy lead-acid batteries. Um, but yeah, we use a, a sap flow sensor that kind of uses heat as a tracer, but it pulses the heat, so it's not continuous, so it doesn't use as much energy. Oh, that's interesting. And how far up the tree is it, you know, or does it have to be? Yeah, uh, we put it up kind of high, like, so people can't reach it and mess around. With it. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> um, or try and, yeah. But actually, people have been pretty great in Boston and haven't been messing around with them. Um, so you put them up high on the trunk, though, um, not too high, like, but on the stem, the top part of the stem. Um, a lot of sensors are put in, like, parks or on campuses because it's, less vandal like you can better watch it you can have access to ground power so kind of innovating these sensors so that they're small compact and powered off of something small and compact that you can stick up high in a tree makes it so that we can measure these things in areas that we were more difficult to do otherwise oh that's that's fascinating so before would you have a problem in which you know you you were sort of like the person who lost his keys and was only looking under the street light um because that's where the light was. Um, yeah, exactly. Would you sometimes have the same issue in which, you know, you're applying sensors to, to trees, but you're only applying it to the trees that are most easily censored? Yeah, most easily uh, next to line power. So a lot of the studies, as I mentioned, there was 40 studies that I found in urban areas that use sat flow sensors to look at transpiration. So these kind of ground-based approaches. And the majority of them were done in parks. Um, kind of close to campuses and stuff like that because for, I, I think because of the easeability and also permission. So in urban landscapes, you have to get permission to install sensors on people's properties or from the city. Um, so I think that's also part of it. Well, that, that's fascinating. And Dr. Winborn, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.